0: The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan: one me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. Touchdown! You're a fan. You might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now, alongside Pete Thamel he is Reese Davis. The most anticlimactic championship day of the college football era is upon us. What do you make of Ryan Day's decisions and the fickle hand of coaching changes? This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, November twenty-eighth. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. Three of the four spots in the college football playoff should be set, regardless of what happens on Saturday. Michigan, Georgia. TCU also be in, even if they lose their conference championship game. The one caveat I will allow to be at least considered, but not definitive, is if somebody gets completely blown out, you know, three or four touchdowns, and that somebody would most likely be TCU. TCU's overall schedule right now, in terms of strength of schedule, is better than the other two undefeated teams, but they lack the high end marquee big time win that the other two possess. So I would consider it if they were to get completely blown out by Kansas State Saturday. But I'm still inclined, Pete, that we've got three of the four spots set. If USC wins, that they're in two. So, And that's a Friday night game in the Pac-12 championship game against Utah. So while we've had a scintillating, topsy-turvy, chaotic type of season, it feels as if it's going to sort of go out with a whimper on Saturday, just to be honest about it.
1: Well, I, I think uh, our listeners know that we tend to root for chaos, right? And there are some fun chaos theories here. Um, I certainly am not going to discount K-State's role as a disruptor because they have had these like spasms of greatness that have been unprecedented. <laughs> you know, they're just like, I did not see 48 nothing coming against Oklahoma State. Uh, so I think that's that, that. that there are potential places for chaos. I just... I think every time in this sport we assume that the things that should happen happen, we end up feeling wrong, right? Okay. So, so I, I do think there is a path towards a little bit of blandness, but I also, you know, I, I think of Utah like what they've done. You know, is uh, is the tight end going to catch sixteen balls again against USC? Dalton Kincaid, yeah, Dalton he might. Dalton Kincaid, go for it. like, like there's there are paths is USC really tougher than they were six, seven weeks ago and can face them. I mean, they gave up, was it? 49 points in that first matchup I, to a two. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I was thinking it was 43, 42, I think. It was 43, 42 yeah. to yeah. a
1: fairly pedestrian Utah offense, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're not exactly making anybody remember Chip Kelly's ducks. So I am going to counter you Reese. And I'm going to say I'm bracing for K. Like, there is still USC, and we've been probably more critical than most of USC, and we've been waiting mm-hmm. for their Sunny Dike slide, right? That it just hasn't, <laughs> it just hasn't come. Um, but I don't go into this championship weekend thinking. I think we go into championship weekend thinking something happens, and then there's hard decisions to be made. I think it, that's where the the real sort of tensions come in.
0: Um, I, I, I think where we differ on this is I. I I'm with you on SC. I'm not convinced SC is going to win and that just leaves the one spot. That definitely leaves the one spot open. They're not getting in with a loss. But if Michigan loses to the spoiler makers or LSU rises up and beats Georgia, they're both in to me and yes. even if oh even yeah. if yeah, yeah and if Kansas State kicks a field goal and beats TCU, I think TCU is still in and should be. Maybe I should rephrase that and say it should be. Now, the 48 I like how we
1: the, use the metaphorical scenario field goal. It's my favorite field goal. Yeah, exactly. If they lose on a field goal in the yeah. last second. The okay, if they lose on a late
0: touchdown. Goal. If I mean, yeah. I not even take it I'll take it a little further. If they lose 38-28, I say they're still in. Now, if you get a 2003 Big 12 Championship game where Kansas State pummeled Oklahoma 35-7, mm-hmm. And the Sooners, Mm -hmm. because of the BCS formula, still play for the national championship. Mm -hmm. If it's 35-7 or something of that ilk, then I don't think TCU is on very solid footing. And I think they probably won't make it. But everything else, any other TCU loses scenario, I still say, who's done more? Who's better than them? Over the course of the season, they played in a they played in a very balanced, strong league. As I said right off the top, they don't have the high end win mm-hmm. that Michigan has at Ohio State, that Georgia has against Tennessee, and really against Oregon to a lesser extent, but particularly the Tennessee win. I think they're in unless they get just blown out. or yeah.
1: should be. I I think it's a debate, Reese. I just I, I the considering just the. The way that the power teams have been viewed through the playoff, you're ultimately saying a one-loss, uh, you know, a one-loss team that played in the conference championship versus Ohio State, a one-loss team. And then there's some like data coming out about Alabama that they lost twice in the last play. I just think that would be one of our, one of our more significant debates. And I and and I reflect back to 2014. Where like that Big 12 man, that thing was pushed aside. That was like a, that was like a left tackle block and a nickel back. They said, ah, we're not getting Big 12 in this playoff. <laughs> we're we're rolling with the buckeyes. So there is brand bias, there is league bias that exists. Now it's a committee. So you can't say what happened in 2014 is going to happen again because it's all different humans in the room. But I do think some of those brand biases exist. I do think that. You can you can argue that there is a uh, that there's a talent um, discrepancy between both those teams and TCU. So I, I think TCU has had a great season, and I'm certainly not discounting it. And I would not object if they went in, but I just think it might be a little bit more of a debate than you're uh, than you're allowing for here. If you just l- look at how the, the committee has treated teams in the past.
0: Okay, well let me let me let me be clear then. Yeah, it shouldn't be.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll put fair. it that way. it should not
0: be yeah. unless they unless they get blown out because the others that you would consider in their stead. Now I'm not talking about SC. SC has to win because you know SC is a little a little flimsy in in its resume. Um, no
1: two lost team has ever made the playoff.
0: Even yeah, two-loss. they're they're flimsy in their resume and they're and they're a one sided team. They're a great offense with a Ooh. spectacular likely Heisman winning quarterback. And their defense is not very good. And, you know, so, but it doesn't have to be great because of the offense that they have. So I'm not talking about SC. And everybody, I think, will concede Georgia and Michigan. The 2014 debate and the thing that will make Frog fans very nervous if they were to lose on Saturday because they fell from three to six on the final day, despite winning by 52 points. And everybody for years has blamed it on the Big 12 championship game and and the lack thereof in 2014, which I think is an absurd argument, by the way. They were co-champions, and if the committee members in 14 weren't smart enough to differentiate between Baylor and TCU because the Big 12 didn't hand them a piece of paper that said, we are declaring this team our champion, then they shouldn't have been on the committee. You know, that's why we have a committee is to make football judgments. I think that was a football judgment that Ohio State was the was better than those teams. I'm not sure I totally agree with that because also the biggest fallacy in the world is to say, well they won the national championship. Well that yeah. that's not what we're talking about here. Sure. They, of course yeah. they were capable of winning the national championship. The question was were they better at the time than TCU? I mean mm-hmm. or Baylor for that matter. So that was a reasonable argument and a reasonable conclusion and one that I would have reached as well. Uh, that Ohio State in fourteen was was the better team. I don't I don't see that from uh, the two most likely contenders, Ohio State and Alabama, uh, this year. Ohio State maybe, but that that game Saturday sort of shook my uh, shook my faith in them. Uh, Michigan, you know, down some players. With a, with a quarterback that hadn't, you know, really been consistent in the passing game, makes huge plays, then they give up the, you know, just uh, almost give up back-breaking runs. I know they had to, you know, probably bring everybody close to the line of scrimmage, and if you squirt through, you're going to run forever, as Donovan Edwards did. But, you know, it's sort of the demoralizing way that Michigan uh, took it to them late, sort of altered my perception of the Buckeyes a little bit, to be sure. honest. Now, I would yeah. probably, if SC loses, I would probably default to Ohio State with a one-loss to Michigan, probably. Um, but certainly my uh, my belief in them has been shaken quite a bit by the events that unfolded Saturday.
1: Yeah, so I stayed for the game after game day on Saturday, and uh, we all picked the Buckeyes on the pod, right? I think all three of us did. Yeah, Is yeah, right? I did, yeah. for sure, yeah. And. Um, you know, I spent warm up scrambling around, monitoring Blake Corum, Luke Schoonmaker, Donovan Edwards, Trevor Keegan. Um, and like that, that was a banged up team. And, you know, they're running walk-ons in on key possessions on the goal line, former walk-ons. Uh, so I, this is how much I know. I not only picked Ohio state at halftime, I said to David Pollock, I said, the way this game has gone, Michigan can't get a yard on the ground and they're not built to, to win on shot plays. But you know why? Because they have 11 games of empirical evidence where they were a grinded Big Ten team. I just Correct. said, I, I think, I said, if I could bet the half, and we don't bet, obviously, but I said, if I could bet the halftime, like the second half line here, I would take Ohio State because they mm-hmm. moved the ball generally at will and, you know, kind of were having their way with Michigan's defense. And what they needed to do, which was stop the run, which was everybody's key to the game, they had done. They had done this abundantly and Blake Coram's not playing. Oh, Mike Morris is the other guy I was missing. He barely played. He played a few snaps early. He had a heavily taped ankle and he did not look good. So I was just like, here's a team that is without its best offensive player, its best defensive player is essentially mute. And they have four other key players who were banged up. I mean, Edwards had a big rap on his thumb and that was, you know, in theory going to negate his effectiveness on third down because he couldn't catch the ball in the backfield. It was just, again, I thought that their you know, Ohio state would win by 10, you know, mm-hmm. you know, pull away and win 41 30 or something like that. Just the way, the way that the game unfolded. Uh, the first touchdown was a zero blitz where a guy didn't make a tackle. So that didn't seem to me to be like some glaring Deficiency. It was a it was a defensive gamble gone wrong, mm-hmm. um, which it, that didn't that didn't say oh boy this is worrisome like you know like if if they had, had if Michigan had scored on two or three twelve play eighty two yard drives I would have been like ooh that's not good for Ohio State um, but they scored on a legit shot play that you know down the middle obviously to Cornelius Johnson and they and then they scored on the on the zero blitz gone wrong and it just didn't. The tenor of the game didn't indicate in any way that Michigan would go run away with it in the second half. Now, I want to be very clear: credit Michigan because they did. They had that one just soul-crushing drive, mm-hmm. and then Ohio State had what four straight four and outs. So yeah. Michigan did exactly what all the coaches who told me they thought Michigan were going to win do. They they bodied up and they out-physical them and they out-tough them and they just squeezed the life out of them. Um, and it was it was very uh, it, it, it was very apparent. Ohio State lost their composure. There were personal mm-hmm. foul penalties, the defensive backs. You know, Latham Ransom's had a pretty good season, and he had a really bad day on Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was just like lack, lack of discipline. Guys weren't turning around. They were flailing. There was obviously the key pass interference penalty in, in the back of the end zone. Uh, Ohio State lost its composure.
0: Ryan Day's taking some heat, as one will do when you lose a rivalry game. The thing that struck me about That and any suggestion that Ohio State could do better as the head coach, I'm not saying Ryan Day's greatest coach in the history of the world, but guys lost, what, six games in his career or whatever it is. It's You know, it's nothing. He's a terrific head coach and leader. But when you lose these rivalry games and you lose them in the fashion in which he has there, there are. You know you're going to catch some heat. Any any assertion that they need to make a change is is patently absurd and ridiculous. But it was interesting to see this, to see buttoned up, eccentric, but largely buttoned up. You know we're going to run the ball and grind you out. Power Jim Harbaugh taking shot plays, having a, a erstwhile linebacker throw a pass. You know um, in a relatively tough situation then seeing day um not go for it on fourth down a couple of times now I'm of the Lou Holtz school which Holtz always used to say about the players don't come begging me to go for it on fourth down fourth down's my decision third down's your decision you know <laughs> go go get it if you want if you want the first down is down get it on third down so you know Ryan made a calculated play but I guess pulling back in, the feeling he was pulling back in while Harbaugh was pushing the chips to the middle seemed uh was it, that was a little jarring and something I think that Ohio State will assess throughout the offseason or at least assess until they see Michigan Michigan again in the playoffs, should Ohio State somehow uh sneak into the to the field of four.
1: Yeah. And it- I don't know, maybe this sounds naive, but part of me thinks if they played again, it wouldn't unfold quite this way. Just be, because the way, it le- you know, I say led in the first half. Um, mm-hmm. Now, again, it would be a fascinating test of toughness. It would be fascinating test of edge of ego of pride if they, if they did play again. Um, so uh, w- the what you know, we, we, we go to all these great games and, you know, we're really lucky that to you know have all these experiences we do go in these places. And, I often think about, like, what am I going to remember about this game five years from now, right? When Because we go to a ton of games, and they certainly don't blend together, but uh, there's all these moments and experiences. So I think the one thing I'm going to remember about uh, this Ohio State game five years from now is driving back to the hotel um, after the game. It's probably 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. Um, with my old coworker, Dan Wepsil. He was kind enough to drive me to, um, before I drove back to Detroit. I appreciate it. So we're in the car. He puts on Columbus Sports Radio. And it's just like, he said, yeah, this will be entertaining, right? So we're talking. We're not like intently listening to it. And then I just hear the hosts say, you know, if you're in the Fire Ryan Day camp, and I was like, whoa, there's actually a camp? <laughs> like, that's that's insane. Like, I can understand frustration losing the game, but like, the guy's 45 and five. I think he's only lost those two Big Ten games, right? I don't. That's think it. He's lost yeah, those are the only two Big, Big
0: Ten games he's lost. So it's like he's something lost. like
1: thirty something and two. So anyway, yeah, he's lost. He's lost.
0: Let's think about this for just a minute. I'll let you finish. They lost yeah. those two Big Ten games. They lost to uh, maybe Nick Saban's best team in the national yeah. championship the game. They lost a great game to uh, to a Clemson team and Trevor Lawrence. Those
1: are those are four of the losses.
0: I mean, yes. you know,
1: come on, yes. Yeah. And they had every opportunity to win that game. And
0: the other one was Oregon. So, you know, that. Yes. That.
1: Yes. Uh, so it's a, uh, you know, I was just like, whoa. And then I uh, I saw the next morning on my way home that Luke Fickle was trending on Twitter. And this is where uh, the news broke that he was going to Wisconsin. And I was like, why is Luke Fickle trending on Twitter? And then I realized it was Buckeye fans tweeting that they want Luke Fickle to replace Ryan Day. So anyway, I think that's, Totally preposterous. Ryan Day is an excellent coach. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But I, I think it's also fair to say he has a Michigan problem right now, and yeah. that you know that that loss, and he was very open about it, hovered over their entire year and off season. They were sick and tired of hearing about it, and that is only going to be amplified for the next three hundred sixty five days.
0: Yeah, and I, and I'm sure Michigan fans and. Uh, Harbaugh, who has a sharp barb, sharp elbow, every now and then to slip in there oh. at unexpected times. I'm sure that that that'll come around. I want to talk about some other things, but one thing that I I haven't gotten, I haven't uh, talked to anybody about that. You may be right on top of. What was the deal at running back for Ohio State with Chip Trainum carrying the load for the most part? What he had, did he have like one carry? I may be wrong on that, but he had. He really hadn't had the ball. He was a know.
1: linebacker a month yeah. and a half
0: ago. Yeah, and so uh, and so you had Hayden. You had the big game against Maryland. Williams was, you know, maybe Williams didn't look himself. I kind of get that, yeah. but I didn't quite understand the the Hayden thing. Was there an injury of which I was unaware there uh, to him?
1: Um, I don't know. It was not. Expl- I wondered the same thing. It was not explicitly addressed in the, in the post game. Uh, I, he only had a. Uh, he only had a handful of, uh, he only had a handful of carries. I
0: think he only had two carries. That's something I yes. think if, if memory yes. serves. Yeah.
1: Yes. And so um, he, Ryan commented on Hayden after the game, but didn't give an explanation. There was no, there was no injury brought up and there was, mm. uh, there was no, I, I thought Dylan Hayden would have a big game. Um, and I thought he would get a lot of carries because you, you knew you couldn't rely on Mayan Williams if he's coming off the injury. And they were, They were optimistic um about uh, they were optimistic about my williams at, at, that that week at ohio state they thought he would uh, they thought he would he would do that but no that's going to be one of those things that lingers from that game that just uh, maybe there's an explanation for it but we haven't heard it yet this episode is brought to you by hyperrice
0: A lot of times, I, I would now the 14 carries. You have to continue to, you know, look at that and go, okay, well, if you're going to run the ball. Why is the other guy in there? But a lot of times, Pete, I've found over the years, if you have a question about why a running back is not playing, or didn't play, or didn't get a certain number of carries, wasn't on the field for a certain number of snaps, the answer is almost always, if it's not an injury, is almost always coaching confidence in their pass protection, almost always. And so I wonder with him being a freshman and maybe the game plan geared for the past that maybe uh, that, that's the only I mean, it, I know Ohio State fans listening to this are going to say, well, it was good enough against Maryland last week. You know, he, he played a lot, but and I'm not saying that's it. I'm saying that historically, if you're saying, why isn't running back X playing for team Y? Mm-hmm. It's almost always pass pro if they're not playing. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
1: It, Ryan has mentioned over the year, one of the Ohio State beat writers told me uh, this when I was walking on the press box the other night, that he had talked a lot about ball security with Hayden. Now, I don't think Hayden has fumbled in a game. But mm-hmm. that that could have been an issue too. But there were there was just yeah, maybe there there was some uh, that was just another factor that was uh, brought up. Me, Phil Landis uh, from Rivals uh, told me that because he'd written a good column on Hayden the week before, coming out of the Maryland game, that mm-hmm. indicated that like this guy could be coming. And look, I, I thought I, I might have even said to Jim Guyer or a producer that like Dal Hayden could like he could carry the ball twenty five times in this game for a buck. Yeah. Like that that scenario. Wasn't implausible to, uh, to to me, especially because you know the box is going to be a little bit light because they're, they're going to be defending a pass. so there was going to be some room in theory in the run.
0: We had a, um, I, don't, I like to on this time that we're together. I like to take people a little bit behind the scenes, and if someone had been able to listen to all of the conversations and everything that was going on during the three hours that College Game Day was on on Saturday and even extending back to Friday night about uh you working hard to nail down Matt Rule and then uh Kirk uh, you know Kirk working to get uh Matt Rule on the show and I was trying to reach Trev and uh you know just all of these different things to make sure that this was this was done then the whole Auburn scenario and then various coaches uh, reaching out to try to get on TV and then changing their minds and not wanting to go on TV. I'm not going to say any names. You can read between the lines and figure out who that is. Um, you know, so it was a bizarre, fun show that we've had over the years when we've gone to Ohio State, Michigan. I remember the 16 year. We, I think we, ex- I think that was a year. I'm pretty sure it was that we extended the show to five hours. And basically, it seemed five like hours? yeah, we started at 7 a.m. and just went. And, um, and, it's been nuts. and uh, it was fun. It was really fun. And then a great game followed it. And there were so many coaching changes and decisions and we're getting people on the phone. And, you know, it was, uh, that was, that was before everybody got comfortable with FaceTime and stuff, <laughs> you know, yeah. it was, but there were, there were, there were a lot of bizarre things going on, much of it circulating around the Auburn coaching search. Take me through what your morning was like, because at one point I was walking off of the Zotron field after that's where the big screen, no, the demo field. There are two different ones. was walking and you grabbed me as I went by and you said, hey, man, the Kiffin thing's falling apart at Auburn. Take me through what your morning was like.
1: Yeah, it was it was an interesting morning, Reese, and it was uh, it was just hectic for, uh, for for a bunch of different reasons because you had the the injuries we tracking at Ohio State and Michigan, which you know were key factors in uh, in, in that game, especially Corum. And then uh, there was there was a sense, and, and it had been it had been reported that Lane Kiffin was the favorite, right? That had been that had been sort of unfolding for twenty four hours. And that morning, I had gotten the sense, um, and, and it actually changed what I was going to report that. It, it, things had cool there have been complexities um in in that search some of them tied to some family stuff and uh it, you know was was ready to kind of go on the air and say that you know it's going to be it's 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 projected to be either freeze or kiffin and then uh chris lowe our colleague got word that kiffin had told his staff that he was that he was staying and so then you know, I, I went back and, and made some calls and, and kind of reported that the depths of Auburn and Freeze of where it was. And as we are talking here at 1022 on Monday morning, Freeze has still not been hired as, as Auburn's coach. Uh, it does seem to still be trending in, in that direction, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of mornings, like I'm 90 seconds to air and my phone rings and I take it and you got to pull the sound thing out of your ear and there's 10,000 people. In. It was just like, yeah, it was, it was, it was, whoa, I, uh, we did this, we did the first segment that I showed up on the show was our Ohio State Michigan breakdown off of the uh, anonymous coach story. And normally I would have stayed and watched to see what like the guys had to say, because, you know, we talked about all week and I'd be curious what David had to say from this film breakdown or Des said about Marvin Harrison Jr. But I just fucked off the stage, went back and started making calls. I was just like, I couldn't, uh, it was just, because because the Auburn hit was coming up in like 12 minutes. Also, this is what I'll remember five years from now. The internet was a little spacey because you know you got a hundred thousand people descending on one thing. It's not uncommon in these college towns for your phone mm-hmm. to not work. So I'm trying to call people. I'm trying to FaceTime audio people. The internet's kicking in and out. I uh, I probably uttered a, uh, a curse word or two in our back <laughs> office at a certain <laughs> point. At some of the technological difficulties, I probably wasn't the best version of myself in that time. But um, yeah, it all uh, it all ended up uh, it all ended up working out and. Well, uh, and it, it, was, all, and, it was certainly hectic.
0: Yeah, it all ended up working out on your the coach's confidential piece, which you do an unbelievable job in giving us stuff to play off of. And we get the first one up, and that's the Zotron screen, what we call that big screen where we show it. It goes black. The two monitors that we have as backup go black, so we've got nothing. Now, I know what the quotes are. That's why you, know, you have the cards. I'm with you the quotes, but the guys can't see the tape. So then we walked over to the edge, and I sort of guided everybody to the edge. Our stage manager was working, and uh, we looked around the corner behind the Zotron and peered as if you you know you're trying to get a glimpse of something far far away, and watched on the big giant jumbotron uh, screen that the that is yeah. there for the crowd. Yeah, sure. wasn't wasn't optimal. But then after a couple of, I think it was Kirk and Dez who ended up doing it that way. And then they, for whatever power was restored, I don't know if somebody uh, purposely or accidentally pulled a cable or if it was just one of those glitch things, but we, power was restored by the third one who finished it up. And uh, you know, that's, I told them at the end that that's why I like uh having them as teammates because sometimes in a game things go wrong. Sometimes you get a bad call against you. Sometimes the ball bounces a bad way. You've got to you've got to persevere and play the next play. And our guys our guys did a really good job of that and I was I was very proud of them. So, you know, any of the naysayers out there that have something to say about that, well that's not what college game day was built on. It was built on being positive. I channel channel my internet, uh, save So it's funny. Game. I
1: heard in my ear, <laughs> Kirk. I think might have been a first, and I think he it made was. a joke like, "Hey, how come I can't see the words? Are you keeping it from me? or something like that?" Yeah. And then I ripped those out of my ears and started making. Yeah, channels. yeah. So, so but uh, it,
0: it, it worked out. It it yeah. worked out well uh, for sure, and it was great to get Matt Rule on. And you know, yeah, we it, had Matt
1: Rule at Cape May and Marcus Freeman from Marina Del Rey.
0: How about so that?
1: We literally yeah. went coast to coach uh, on, on game day with, uh, with, with good interviews on Saturday.
0: Okay. I want to get back to the coaching thing, but Sarah is uh, one of our producers here is ecstatic over the Matt Rule hire. But yeah. prior to the start of the podcast, while we what were What does your grandmother
1: ahead, think? This is what we really want to know.
0: Well, I think she's, she's excited, but I think we're going to have to, uh, I asked Sarah since she bought a Scott Frost t-shirt, is she going to buy a Matt Rule smock? You know, but
1: Ooh, I mean, we've do, we got to do we got to do
0: something. We got to do something about this ridiculous sideline attire that Matt, who I'm very fond of and like, but th- we've got to do something about this. This is a terrible look. He's got to he's got to yeah. do better. I uh, mean, Sarah, I, how would you
1: look at a smock? I personally would love a smock. Anything oh. to support the Huskers. You know, go Big Red <laughs> till the end. Grammy also thrilled. Because you know, it was it was a big day for us. We beat Iowa, we got Matt Rule. It was just a beautiful, beautiful day in the house.
0: All right. I I asked her, I asked her, Pete, who she was more excited about. And said, this is a tough question. You have to think back. I said, but are you more excited now in anticipation of the Matt Rule era? Or were you more excited when you got Scott Frost? It's hard to block out. Mm. What's happened in the interim, But on that day, um, I can't imagine that they were more excited for rule than they than uh, than they were for Frost, right?
1: I mean, Scott Frost's homecoming was so poetic. Right. It was so beautiful that, and you mix in the t-shirt situation, like everyone was happy. Nobody was sad. So, Honestly probably we were more excited for Scott Frost when he was announced however however happy for a new era to begin <laughs> uh, I, I think the sure. irony Sarah is that the depths Frost dragged you to could you could make the argument that you end up happier for rule <laughs> <laughs> because there's Seems to be seeds of uh, seeds of prompt.
0: <laughs> yeah. Th- that's a that's a that's a fair assessment of the situation as well. We can review is brought to you by Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Find them in the refrigerated meat aisle at your favorite grocery store to create one of a kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. When Wisconsin moved on from Paul Christ in the middle of the season, which, you know. I thought was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. I'm not sure you agree with me on that. It was, I thought it was born in embarrassment over what Brett Bielema had done on a single Saturday with their former coach coming back and holding him to two yards rushing and running through them and basically doing to them what they have done to others for a long time. When they fired Paul Crist, it seemed for all the world like they were lining up because they, there's been a faction there who's wanted Jimmy Leonard to be the head coach for a long time. Then they pivot and go Luke Fickle, which I think is a really, uh, a really good hire. How did this come about? Because if I'm uh, – I mean, you've been all over this story. So how did this come about with uh, Wisconsin um, moving to Fickle?
1: So there was an interesting conundrum at Wisconsin with Jim Leonard. Excellent coach, beloved native son, elite former player. Jim Leonard's problem to me as a candidate was his strengths and his experience did not address the deficiencies that they identified when they fired Paul Christ. Those deficiencies were building a better modern program. Those deficiencies were building a better recruiting department. And Jim Leonard is a very good coach and he's certainly a good recruiter, but he to me did not have enough worldview having only played and coached at Wisconsin essentially to go out and figure out what it's supposed to look like, how it's supposed to look to build the Badgers to again, compete with the Ohio States and Michigan's in that top, top tier. If you're going to fire a coach for not running a good enough holistic, modern program, to me, it always felt counterintuitive to hire a coach who again is an excellent football coach, but doesn't have the worldview and the purview of how to do things differently so that was always my take on leonard now if they had hired him jim leonard would have done a good job but it seems like wisconsin's going for it here and if you're going to go for it you are probably better served to hire a coach who can come in and and build the foundations and the guts of these modern programs. So much goes into being a college football coach now, including NIL, quite frankly. So Mm -hmm. that reality combined, you know, collides with Luke Fickle's reality, which was that he had gone from one of the two or three best jobs in the AAC to one of the three or four worst jobs in the Big 12. Um, There's been concerns about anytime you jump up a league, you are going to have difficulties. You are not going to be able to compete financially. Um, You combine the NIL aspect of it in this era, that job's even harder. Essentially the Cincinnati job in the big 12 is a variance of the West Virginia job. It's still a, it's still a decent job, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a difficult job and a geographic outlier, you know, Kids in, a, in that footprint don't grow up dreaming of playing in the Big 12. Now, they don't grow up dreaming of playing in the AAC either. But there's, there's more resonance in Cincinnati of the SEC with Lexington down the road and the Big 10 in that footprint than there is Iowa State, Texas Tech, Kansas State. So I, I think the surprise isn't that Luke Fickle left. The real surprise is that he hung around that long because he had been there I believe it was six seasons. Uh, the first one wasn't very good when he was cleaning up Tuberville's mess. And then from there, he'd been consistently, you know, the best group of five coach in the country, quite frankly. And Fickle had, had a ton of opportunities to leave, and none of the jobs seemed to fit or really make sense. Luke Fickle, at his core, is a Big Ten guy. And look, would he, would he prefer the Ohio State job or the, Mich- or the Penn State job? Maybe Michigan, although that's always fraud if you're an Ohio State guy. Sure. Right. Like that's not, that's not a mystery, but this job fits so well and it fits in so many different ways that it's going to be a good marriage. And, and one thing we've learned about Luke fickle is that the best quote anyone ever gave me about him when he's, he's not a new year's resolution kind of guy. Mm-hmm. like I'll, I'll make a great new year's resolution to be on the Peloton every day, you know, and by, uh, by Valentine's day, that'll be a distant memory. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chuckle, uh, we'll chuckle on that. So, um, Luke Fickle is is a guy who plants roots, and he showed that at Ohio State. He showed that when he stuck around as Urban Defensive Coordinator. He had a bunch of chances to leave, and he showed it again at Cincinnati when he literally built that program to unprecedented heights for a, for a smaller school. So I think it's a great fit. I think it's a great match, and uh, I know that he and, and, and the staff he's going to bring up there are excited. They feel like they can build that thing into, uh, you know, into, into a power, into a place where, what if Brett Kimmel win three big times there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the ceiling is there and the vision appears to be aligned. So I think it's going to be, if you're a Wisconsin fan, it's a really good day.
0: Oh, I, I think they should be ecstatic about it. And it sometimes coaching moves are about timing for the coaches. And last year with Cincinnati going to the playoff probably wasn't the right time for Luke. There had been, you know, talk for several years because of his personal convictions and a variety of things that he he had coveted the Notre Dame job, as many people would. Timing wasn't right for that. He was talked about uh, with USC. I never saw that being the right fit. But a lot of times when you feel as if maybe you missed your window you know, with LSU, USC, Notre Dame, things like that. Open, you miss your window. There's a, there's a panic reaction, and you go to a place where you don't fit. I'll give you the example of one Richard Rodriguez, who who had the Alabama job. You know, it, it worked out well for Alabama that he he didn't show up when he was supposed to show up to to sign on it and make it official. And then I feel like I've always felt like Rich panicked, then took Michigan. You can't turn down Michigan, but he's not a great fit there, as that proved to be true. But in Luke's case, he he didn't panic because of the non-New Year's resolution thing, I would imagine. And then when this opportunity comes up, well, this does fit him very well and has provides him all of the resources that he would not have had at Cincinnati relative to the competition. So uh, this is a you know his patience has been rewarded. Maybe not this. This may not be the job he always dreamed he would have. As you mentioned, that's probably Ohio State, uh, okay. Notre Dame, and then maybe because he's probably not ever going to get the Ohio State job, then maybe you know then maybe Michigan. But this this fits in very nicely. It's an excellent job. History of winning. People are committed to football. Money's going to be there, and he's he's a proven commodity. It was a excellent hire by them. Now the question is about Jimmy Leonard. Because of this, um, my understanding, and I, I, look, I don't know, I don't know Jimmy Leonard. Well, maybe, maybe you do, but my understanding is that he largely came back to Madison because he wanted to live there and raise his family there. Sort of was talked into coaching by Paul Christ, uh to come on the staff there. So now my question is, what does Jimmy Leonard do? Is he does he have the bug? Is he going to go find a head coaching job? Is he going to be a DC someplace and and work his way into it, or uh, is is the original plan back in order where he's you know he's going to live in Madison? What what have you heard anything on that yet?
1: So I mean, Jim Leonard's going to have options, and he had turned down a bunch of really good opportunities the past few years, including the Packers DC job. Um, I was told yesterday to not totally rule out. That he could stay on Luke Fickle staff. Remember, Luke. Maybe, yeah. The same thing happened to Luke with Urban. When Urban mm-hmm. came in, they kind of said, "Hey, you got to keep Luke Fickle. Um, mm-hmm. He's one of us. He's you know a promising person." I, I remember Gene Smith telling me when Luke got the Cincinnati job, if all of our student athletes could turn out like Luke Fickle, this place would be a, a really high end place. And I, and I feel like at Wisconsin, they think of Jim Leonard in that same vein. They I think of agree. him as sort of the the, yeah. the consummate Buckeye. Um, so and Luke, this is one interesting thing about Luke from being around him over the years, he may be the most secure head coach that I've ever met. He doesn't see ghosts. He is just very direct in how he operates. And, and he's just college football coaches are not secure human beings generally. And I think, you know, that from, yes, you're laughing yes. from being, yes. from being behind, <laughs> from being behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it, it sometimes the more successful and famous they are, the less secure they are. Um, so Luke Vickel is the complete antithesis of that. I really think it's one of his defining qualities and in, in most fascinating parts. He just he doesn't overthink things. He doesn't see go like he just kind of goes and operates and, and and makes. And being a college football coach really is a thousand small decisions every day, right? Mm-hmm. What's that training table? What time do we go? What's the weather going to be? Are we indoor? Like you know, do we offer the sophomore from Molar? Or do we not? Like it's a thousand small decisions. And the more secure you are, and confident you are in your decision making, the better you know the better off you are. And I think that's what Wisconsin. Wisconsin fans are really going to, going to he's going to resonate with their fan base. He is he is all stake and no sizzle in a uh, in a state that let's face it, likes some state.
0: And, and don't we all, although. The way we pick games maybe would not be reflective of that <laughs> in, our, in our race for the rib. though you and I enjoyed a fine steak together. One more thing about our, our trip to Columbus, you and I uh, dined with some acquaintances and friends on Friday night, which is a departure for me. Typically, I, I stay in, but uh, there was a friend who had uh, wanted me, wanted us to come along, and and I was delighted to do so. And we were graced by the presence of Shemi Shembeckler. Yes, we um, were. Both both son. And Shimmy We should have seen and, this
1: coming. <laughs>
0: we should have, man. And uh Shimmy came to the show on Saturday morning, sent a very nice note along. He and his son came and uh and had a great time. And I'm delighted to hear that. Uh as, as you know, we both picked Ohio State. And after after Shimmy finished talking about what he believed was going to happen, and it wasn't a rah-rah kind of thing, it was just very emphatic and emotional and what it meant to Michigan. And I was like, Yeah, I, I might, I might run through a wall for old maize and blue right now after that. And and he, he, he turned out to be right. But, uh, you know, I, I think that I'm not really sure where I was going with that other than the fact that we had a nice steak. We had a nice yeah, steak. We did, we did have a nice steak.
1: And, and, and Bo's son, uh, I was ready to run down on special teams. He he yeah. gave uh, gave quite a quite a speech about the rivalry. And his dad obviously passed before the 0-6 game, and that's where uh, that's where the line of question came up. But it was uh, a yeah. it was an interesting window into uh, in, into that world. But he lives in Columbus, doesn't
0: he? Yeah, I think he does. That's kind he of funny. does. Yeah, yeah that, that is. There's there's a lot of cross pollination there that a lot of the fans uh, aren't aware of, you know. And he talked a lot about. Uh, and Archie Griffin has talked about this a lot too, over the years, who was on the show and one of my favorite people to be around, um, how Woody and Bo back in the day, while they fiercely competitive and rivals and, you know, uh, and all of that maintained that bond that, you know, dated back to the cradle of coaches in Miami, Ohio, and all of that. So, um, there, there's more uh, that that's the thing. There's a lot of contempt. It's probably gotten more vitriolic in recent years, but the entire rivalry, is, is built on a deep foundation of respect or should be, you know, for, for the most part. And, you know, I, I hope, you know, I hope the overreaction doesn't take it too much in a different direction a little bit, because, you know, like we've talked about, we like a little padding, it's a little, little vitriol, a little jab to the ribs every now and then never hurt anybody just to stoke the fires of the rivalry, but uh, with, within perspective as well. I know he's perfectly content. He's called it his dream job, but a guy that has to be on fire right now in terms of people raising an eyebrow and looking toward the future is what Shane Beamer has done the last two weeks at South Carolina. First, obliterating Tennessee and then coming from behind and ending that seven-game losing streak at Clemson. I mean, you want to talk about a rivalry and... A a program that changed trajectories big time in two weeks. South Carolina just did that.
1: Oh, there's there, there's no question about that. And I mean, if if they uh, if they turn this thing uh, if they turn this thing around um, and get back to South Carolina competing again in the SEC East in the way they did under Steve Spurrier, I think this is like the the distinct pivot point, Reese. Like you just saw it happen. Um, I think they scored uh, more than 90 points combined in, the, in those two games and look like Clemson got rattled and made some huge mistakes and, and, and South Carolina stayed the course. When was last Clemson's last home loss? Was it 16? They,
0: they, yeah, they, I think it was a 16 game to Pittsburgh if memory serves and they they had won, I think it was 40 in a row at, at home. So I think I've got the numbers right. If I don't, Timber Ray's listening, he'll, he'll, uh, hit me up and correct me, but they had the, they had the long home winning streak. They had the lead. They had really dominated the rivalry and, you know, and then South Carolina goes in and, and changes all that and does so in thrilling fashion. One of those uh, memorable things. And I saw that Shane tweeted this morning, I guess when he was driving his kids to school, he, he took the Palmetto bowl trophy with him for the ride and encouraged all Gamecocks to walk into work with their heads held high that they had, uh, that they had earned uh, a little, um, uh, a little uh, ease of the chicken curse, so to speak, as, as they have down in the uh, Palmetto State. So it was just a great win for them. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, really, really interesting study, too, because while certainly he had had lifelong lessons in how to be a head coach from his father, uh, Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech. I have this theory that not everybody needs to start, you know, in the Mac or in Sun Belt, you know, to cut their teeth. Now, most do. You know, most most it benefits, and I'm not ever saying that's a bad thing. Some guys are ready to step into that chair. i'm I'm not putting Shane Beamer, by the way, in the Bob Stoops category. but let's be clear about that. But Bob Stoops didn't need it. he was he was ready to go, you know, from the beginning. And there are certain guys who go into that seat and all of the thousand decisions a day that you mentioned earlier, they make them with the ease because that's who they are. and uh, and so and Shane, um you know, couple years under his belt now appears to be a guy um, who has, who has made that transition
1: quite well. Well, certainly it, it, Shane, Shane Bremmer to me was always an interesting candidate, right? Like when you, when you started to look at because special teams coaches don't tend to get hired that much. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now search teams are very important. They're a third of the game. They, the coaches are the ones who are up in front and address the team. But I would think, you know, there's been, Less than 10, probably in the last 10 years, special teams coaches that have become head coaches. So Tony Levine was one at Houston. That didn't work out well. There's been a handful, but for the most part, I mean, remember John Harbaugh's real background was special teams. And then he became like a running back coach for one year and then he got hired. It's, it's kind of this weird quirk. And Shane Beamer found out that he needed to go and sort of affiliate himself with Lincoln Riley and get some offensive pedigree to complement his special teams. Before he could end up, uh, you know, going and, and getting that head coaching job, and so um, he always had an unflappable faith that he could go be a head coach and do it. And it was what a match of of, of moment, and and it took the administration there's some vision to to hire Shane Beamer and to to, to go push on and, and and do that. So it's uh it, it's a lot more fun when that rivalry in South Carolina is going. It's a lot more fun when the the SEC East just isn't doesn't have rocks in the basement right we see some embers of life from Vanderbilt we've seen Kentucky be you know as good as it's been since Bear Bryant you've got South Carolina now coming what good of the Spencer Rattler by the way
0: <laughs> he suddenly looks like a five-star quarterback that looked pretty good early in his career at Oklahoma you know
1: mm-hmm. I mean yes. yeah
0: I still I still contend that that as a singular performance the game they played against Tennessee was the best singular performance by any team all season, especially relative to what a team's ceiling might be. And I don't know if you if if you picked up on this, and I hope that um, you know, we like to drop the Easter eggs on the show from time to time. But when Shane was on in the pregame from the field, my last question to him was about his pregame speech. Pretty standard fare, except I asked him if he was going to let Cam Smith give the speech or if he was just going to channel that same message. Now, for those who might not be aware, in the aftermath of the Tennessee victory, the post-game, uh, Cam Smith, Gamecock's defensive player, comes in, and he was asked, because they did a better job defensively in the second half against, against Tennessee, and Tennessee probably got a little out of sorts and demoralized and Hendon got hurt and all of that. But they asked Cam what adjustments they made at halftime. And he said, I'm going to clean it up. But he said, no adjustments, really. We just said, got to drop, you know, things that make you more mature. Okay, we'll put it that way. <laughs> so he, uh, it, it, and, and and lead you past puberty. We'll put it, uh, that, that's what Cam Smith said. So my last question to Shane was, are you going to do that uh, are you going to, and I used the word drop so he would know exactly where I was going, that you know, you're going to drop that info, you're going to let Cam do it or do it yourself. And he heard it and he hesitated and he goes, I might or might not have played that clip in the team meeting last night. You know, it's a challenge to the guys. So he, he, he pushes right motivational buttons, done a really, really good job this year. Do you have any coaching news you want to break right now before I go into dumb loses more than smart wins?
1: No, no. I just want to break the news that my computer decided to break today. Probably on the worst day of the year for it to break. So yeah, that's not. That's <laughs> not. not a, it's not a taking a charge. That's not a good day. No. So, uh, so yeah.
0: dumb loses more than smart wins. Goes to a trio of people, of which I am the leader. Uh, the trio of people would be me, Kirk, and Desmond, because we were all tied for the super dog lead. And so we made our superdog selections. All you need is a, a cover and you have a chance to win. They picked the same super dog and their super dog lost 56 to nothing Vanderbilt and my Ooh. super dog lost 47 to seven coastal Carolina to James Madison. Now the James, the people of James Madison know of my affinity for that trip there, uh, I like Coach Signetti. I have a long standing relationship with their passing game coordinator, Tino Sinceri, of who I'm very fond and believe him to be a rising star in coaching. So, dumb loses more than smart wins is me. That was a dumb pick. That was that I have not made a dumber pick of all my dumb picks. That was the dumbest one to go against the father of the Constitution the mother of all college game day crowds, and perhaps uh, the daddy of all transition teams from FCS to FBS. And they should be able to play in the conference championship game and all of that, but the rules about transition don't, don't allow that and they can't play in a bowl either. So I would like to take this moment to say this to my good friends at James Madison about my dumb loses more than smart wins pick of taking Coastal Carolina in 14 and a half. I offer a complete and utter retraction. The imputation that somehow the Dukes would stay close or even lose to the shots was totally without basis in fact, and was in no way fair comment, and was motivated purely by overanalyzation, and I deeply regret any distress that my comments may have caused you or your family, and I hereby undertake not to repeat any such slander at any time in the future. My deepest apologies because I epitomized dumb loses more than smart wins. I should have just taken Clay Helton, I would have been in good shape.
1: Dumb ways to die.
0: <laughs> All right. Did I leave you speechless? You've got no rebuttal. No, you've got no, no, got I, uh, nothing I just, to jab I just, me on I, with that.
1: I mean, you, you pretty much filleted yourself. Good, well enough, where I didn't, I, I felt like I'd be piling on if, uh, <laughs> if if I if I did that. But uh, that is why, like, we don't bet on football. Because yeah. yeah, that that yeah. Now Costa was pretty banged up, I think. If you look back, well, but- I mean,
0: I, I know, I know, Grayson wasn't going to play, but I was like this was one of those that they were begging you and you've got to recognize it. And I did, and I did it anyway. There was also yeah. someone also, someone asked me who I was going to take. And I said, so I'm not going to call his name either. A noted uh, noted, And I don't consult with many people. Maybe I bounce it off guy Arrow, maybe Pollock or whatever, but I, I don't consult with anybody. It was a noted, uh, uh, handicapper who was interested in the Superdog race and asked me who I was going to take. And I, told him, and he was totally against this. So I I took it under advisement, but I thought, how mad am I going to be if I change it and then think I changed it because of that? And it turns out to be right. So I sort of dug my heels in, uh, stubbornly stuck to it. No, I didn't stubbornly stick to it. I stupidly. Stuck to it. I, I was dumb. Dumb loses more than smart wins. And I cost myself uh, a chance for the outright super dog. So we have a we have a three way tie and all of us really should lose with making that type of pick in the clutch. So we should we should just award it to I, I don't know. I guess Desmond won last year. Maybe he keeps it. I don't know. Maybe that's the way it goes. Got to knock out the champ to, to win. Give,
1: give it to McAfee for finishing last.
0: <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe so. I'm, I'm not sure who he picked. He might have won. Pollock went with the big game, which is against the spirit of the Superdog. He went with Notre Dame. That didn't work out for him either. So mm-hmm. everybody in contention went o for o for Saturday. I'm not sure what uh, LC and and Pat did. I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, LC went outright. He took a and M. Maybe we should just yeah. give him the belt for picking a and M to win a game.
1: Yeah, and and, that's, and that's knocking impressive. LSU. Uh, I picked. I picked in our uh, lock of the week. I picked LSU. Yeah. One I mean, week after uh, getting reasonable. smoked in my lock of the week uh, <laughs> uh, with East Carolina. So it's, yeah, it's uh, I'm retiring from picking. I'm going to stick to breaking the stories.
0: Yeah. Well, you do that. You do that better than anybody in the business. And I'm sure more more are coming in, in the next few days. Uh, two more podcasts this week on championship week. I know I've said it's anticlimactic. Doesn't mean it's not going that it won't be fun. Going to be great. College Game Day is going to Dallas for Kansas State and TCU, which was a a terrific game. First time around, look forward to the rematch there. Hope you will join us uh, on Wednesday and on Friday for more editions of the College Game Day podcast. Download them wherever you like to get your podcast. See you on Wednesday.